welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Preston M. Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Living Artist Podcast. I'm Preston M. Smith, at PMS Artwork Everywhere on internet land and socials. I want to thank you for landing on this podcast. Whether you're a professional artist, just getting started in the art world, a collector of art, or just consider yourself a creative person, this podcast has something for you. I like to think of it as a fun way to rant and talk to other creative people about living the life of an artist, surviving and getting ahead in the art world, and enjoying your life. But most importantly, not waiting until you're dead to make it happen. All right, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up? What's up, man? Hold on. I, I see you have some technical support. <laughs> I do, thank God. <laughs> awesome. I need, I need some of that myself. Maybe I can borrow her. <laughs> How are She's you, She's expensive. Man? She's good. expensive. She should be. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are here with Brent Estabrook. Am I pronouncing your last name right? You did. You got it right. Most people say Estabrook, but you got it right. Estabrook. Yay. All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you on. I know that you are a fellow Los Angeles artist. And yes. I, I was trying to think if we'd ever bumped into each other anywhere. I don't think so, uh, right? I don't know. I Possibly at one of the art fairs or art shows or... yeah. Uh, did yeah, you, you ever meet do... so many people here in LA? It's uh I know it's crazy, right? Do you ever do the LA art show? I did back in maybe the last time I did it was 2017 or 16. Okay. Uh, I think I did yeah, 18 I did or 19, so I must have I, I must have missed you. I thought I saw you maybe there. Well, I've been a fan of your work for a while. I've I've liked your stuff. Do you know Betsy Etzensberger? She does like these resin yes. popsicle, like melting popsicles or big sculptures. The name sounds familiar. I bet I'd recognize the work. Yeah, she's uh, doing really well. But I first started showing with her at Hale Arts. And it was funny because back in the day, I had this like little bear series that I did because I used to do pop surrealism only. And there was mm. this little bear and I called it the little bear who lost his way. And it was this little drunkard bear with like wine coming down his face. And she mm-hmm. was like, Betsy was like, oh, I like this piece. She's like, you should check out this guy, Brent Estabrook. And I looked at your stuff and I was like, oh, man, he's got the... <laughs> He's cornered the market on this bastard. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. But I loved, I loved your work it's immediately. Been nice. It's, uh, I've, I've seen some other people. I've now seen a lot more like stuffed animal 
paintings and bear paintings, but yes. I'm I'm uh, I'm all for it. I, there's there's room for everybody at the top. Oh, for sure. And you don't yeah. I mean, you do a lot of other stuff too. You your work is yes. very broad. Uh you don't just do like bear paintings, but we'll get into all that. Why don't we start at the beginning? We always start with like a little origin story. You can tell I know you had like a history in dental surgery and all that. Why don't you mm -hmm. uh start as early as you want? You can start in childhood or whatever, how you got into art. What got you interested? Take as long as you want. Tell us as many details as you want. All right. Um, I'll give the uh, semi-quick version of it. Um, All right. So growing up, I was always kind of the art kid. I had a natural interest in it, right? Like always drawing, always sketching, kind of first memories were that. And uh, my parents were very supportive of it. They put me in, you know, extra art classes, tons of Legos, all that stuff. Um, nice. So now, when I eventually went to, I, I grew up in a real small town, kind of outside of Seattle, Washington, about an hour. Real boring, kind of. Wait, where, whereabouts? Town. I went to school in Washington. Puyallup. Ah, oh, Puyallup. Oh, yeah. I'm from Puyallup. Where are you from? Oh, very cool. I, well, I went to school in Spokane. I went to Gonzaga. Ah. But um, my ah. my grandparents lived in Seattle, uh, in Normandy Park. Ah, and, okay. Yeah, so you know yeah. the area then pretty well. Okay. I know the area for sure. Uh -huh. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, lots of rain, lots of gray clouds. And growing up, I kind of always said I wanted to be a dentist. And it was only really because I never got, I never had cavities as a kid. So the dentist appointment was like a nice, pleasant visit. Uh, I knew they made a lot of money. So I was like, ah, I'll just become a dentist. Like that, that was my career path. Yeah. Uh, and I really was going into it because I thought I was going to be a rich dentist. That was my, that was my motivation, which I found out is not a good motivation in life. <laughs> and I went to I went to undergrad at University of Arizona. And when I went there, I went and talked to my pre-health advisor because I was going to ask her, you know, what courses do I need to take in order to get into dental school? And she asked me a question that basically changed my life. She goes, what do you enjoy doing? And I told her, I was like, yeah, well, I really like art. She goes, OK, well, take an art class or take an art major and you could take all your you know biology and anatomy prereqs to eventually get into dental school and you'll get to spend college doing what you love and my first class was painting 101 you picked oil paint or acrylic paint i picked oil paint and for all intents and purposes i basically never stopped painting after that i fell in love with it immediately and oh, that's amazing um, so i went through undergrad eventually got into dental school and went to dental school uh, at University of Louisville. But even in dental school, every free moment I had, I continued to paint. And it was just, I mean, it was, I was so drawn to it. And so I was basically addicted to it. Yeah. And, but still at the time, I didn't quite think I could, you know, becoming an, an artist for a living, you know, it, it just, it didn't compute with me yet. I didn't, I didn't see the possibility of it yet. Right. And um, about two years into dental, so dental school is four years. So two years into it, I had my first success, I would say, where I sold a piece for a pretty substantial amount at the time. Mm -hmm. And at were that you doing point, like art shows or people just seeing your stuff in your studio? Uh, so I had a little uh, solo show in Louisville, Kentucky, and then, but the one of the pieces I would say that really got that got me started. And this is a, a good tip for a lot of artists is I did my longtime manager at the time. Um, he got a piece into the long beach museum of art charity auction. 
Ah, uh, they nice. do a biannual charity auction and we submitted a piece and it got accepted and it sold for eh, quite a bit at the time. And that really got my gears turning in my head, right? Bing. Like, holy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who can I, or can I not cuss on this? Oh yeah. You can cuss. Oh, nice. Okay. Definitely. I'll try to keep it light, but, um, <laughs> but I that really time. got my gears turning. And so I kind of told myself, okay, I'm already two years of debt into dental school. I'll finish dental school and I'll kind of make my decision. Then finished dental school, graduated and said, F it. I want to be an artist. I realized why I despised dentistry. I could not stand it. I dreaded going in every single day. And I just, why spend my life doing something I despised when I could do something I loved? And yeah. uh, from 2014, I've been doing it religiously since. Nice, man. Uh, never worked a day of dentistry in my life. There you go. Took all yep. the schooling, but never did, the, never did no, the job. But, you know, one of the things that came out of the dental school was my whole skull series. Because you spend, yes. I did full body anatomy, but you also spend a year in dental school doing full head and neck anatomy. So I know a, a skull inside and out. So it was a great subject to actually develop a lot of art techniques on because I didn't really have to think about it. I knew it so well. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. It's funny. I yeah. was I had the Seinfeld thing popping into my mind the whole time. I don't know if you know it, the what are you, an anti-dentite? You know, uh, Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I only recently started watching Seinfeld. I didn't realize how good that show is. It's so good. So I know mm -hmm. my wife and I rewatched it during the pandemic. We were like, you know, we'd we'd seen a lot of it, but we're like, let's just binge this. And we're like, this is so good. It is, it is. Yeah, but anyway, so that's an amazing story. I can relate. I definitely, I didn't start, I mean, I sold some stuff in college, but I didn't have like that eye opening, like, oh, I could make a living doing this. But I worked in a restaurant for many years and I just hated it. So I I understand the feeling and mm. it kind of motivates you to really push forward with your art. So I went, mm -hmm. I had a couple of follow-up questions. So you had a manager, you said, you had a manager back then when you were going to dental school as well? So, uh, ooh bit of a little touchy subject, but okay. um, <laughs> share as little or as much as you want. No worries. Yeah, it's um, it's life. I had a friend that we started this all together. Uh, uh -huh. Unfortunately, it didn't it didn't work out towards the end. It's kind of that what gotcha. got us here won't get us there kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a friend that we uh, we did really well. And he was kind of the business side mm -hmm. worked out well for a really long time. But as we both grew, kind of the situation didn't work that well yeah. anymore. Um, but well, it's like being in a band, that's right? Just life. Yeah. What's that? I said, it's like being in a band, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. you just grow apart. You have different things. You got different things you want to different focus visions. on. Different visions. For sure. It sounds like you you learned a lot from that and you got something out of the process. Hopefully your friend did as well. That's so interesting, like the, the dental background. So when did the currency, because I know I was looking back through your Instagram. I've known your work for a while, but I didn't go back all the way to like the currency and the skulls. Mm. And I saw some like, I used to do iconic like pop surrealism too. So I saw some little, some overlap there and I got really excited about it. How long were you doing that kind of stuff? The so I'd say the currency pieces are the ones that was it was a one dollar bill was the first the one that went into the Long Beach Museum of Art charity auction in 2012 I think uh, so oh, nice. kind of like a graffiti one dollar bill and that was the piece that sold and then right after that I did a hundred dollar bill 
which is one of my favorite paintings. I've asked the guy if I could buy it back from him. I love oh, the yeah. piece. Um, that one sold maybe like a month later through a gallery out in Santa Monica. And that's the one that really was like, whoa, damn, people will pay that much for this? Oh, yeah. um, so it started before the Skull series. And, you know, to be honest, at the time... I didn't really know why I was drawn to painting that currency. My my, What I told people, which I guess it kind of makes sense, is dental school is insanely expensive. Uh, oh, medical yeah. school, you know, school in America is insanely expensive now, higher education. And it was kind of this, you know, I'm painting money to make money just to pay back money. Like it was like this like vicious like cycle. So I kind of made them a little uh, like I painted. I was, what would you call it? Um, almost making fun of money, kind of the absurdity of it. Yeah, like you know, cultural commentary. To, yes. Yeah. But to be honest, at the time, especially as a younger artist, I didn't quite know why I was painting what I was painting. I was doing it because I was just drawn to it. Um, yeah. And now, probably only recently, do I really understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, a lot of it was just, for some reason, I was drawn to it and I kept doing it. Uh, that's amazing though, because that's like your subconscious. You're following what your totally inner life is telling you to follow, right? And maybe yeah. you were in a weird way, kind of manifesting the money coming down the road. You know what I mean? That's true. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you first started creating art, did you really know why you were creating art, or were you just no? You know, I just like I was the same way. I was a kid. I was drawing since I was a really young kid. I was drawing monsters and basketball players and stuff like that and then i just yep. my friend and i used to like draw mad magazines we'd like create our own versions of like mad magazine and i just mm. kind of knew that i was going to be in the arts in some way i wanted to act i wanted to be a stand-up comedian i wanted to be a painter i wanted to do all this stuff and i ended up just you know following the art dream and then i wanted to talk to you about this later but i it got solidified when i went to tokyo and i think you went to tokyo as well right i love japan love, I love japan, japan man it's one of my favorite yeah. places i went to the tokyo museum of modern art and i saw a Juan Moreau piece and it was just vibrating and I, it was the first time i like sat in front of a painting where i was like all right this can really affect me i had like tears in my eyes and i never get that way and i was like yeah this is this is what i'm pursuing that kind of solidified it but yeah it's cool mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear you talk about discovering more and more as you go through thinking back, like what was going on in your inner life and your subconscious that was coming through before you even really knew how to maybe verbalize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then walk me through this because there's a little gap here between school and LA. So how did you get to LA? What did that look like? What was your like studio setup process? Did you just come in and start working right away? Um, so from when I graduated from Louisville, I moved to San Francisco. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Slept on an air mattress for a year in a little 600 square foot studio apartment. Uh, flipped up the air mattress and kept painting every day. For $12,000 a month, right? <sighs> Man, it was insane. <laughs> now, uh, LA is even more insane. Yes. Um, but did that for a year and just kept uh, kept getting these like small wins. Eventually, one of the big, big first steps was getting into the LA art show. Uh, that For was sure. in 2000, maybe 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And so once did that, kind of realized that LA is the place, uh, one of the places to be. Um, yeah. You know, I used, to, I used to think because of the internet, you can kind of live anywhere. But if I'm speaking honestly and frankly, living here in LA is amazing. 
for artists. There's so many great people to meet here, like so many great creatives. Definitely. It's a very, uh, yeah, it's a very supportive community. So once I moved down here to LA and it was maybe 2015 or 16, mm-hmm. the connections and the meeting the, the right people really started to, to speed up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely something I think a lot of artists may not realize is the, ah, it's with everything in life, relationships, like good relationships in life will benefit you in a billion ways. And having good relationships with my collectors and people I support has been invaluable. Yeah. So once I got to LA, everything kind of just amplified. Yeah. Not necessarily fell into place, but it was, you could see. Yeah, it's it. You know, it's all, it's hard work. Like uh, you got to put in the work to, (laughs) you know. To do it, but yeah, the ten-year um, overnight success story, <laughs> right? Yes, people don't see the behind the, the scenes. I love the question: uh, How did you find your style? Uh, right. Oh my God, yeah. what inspires you? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. How do you name your work? Yeah, all the all that stuff. How do you name your work? Uh, well, yeah. You know what inspires you? How did you find your style? Like, all that stuff. I'm not going <laughs> to ask you any of those. If I do, all right, feel free to uh, to call me on it. But. Um, <laughs> So what area of Los Angeles are you working out of? Downtown. Oh, you're downtown. Okay, uh, cool. Work. Yep. So I live downtown. Man, if you're downtown, you got to come by the studio. So I would love to. Yeah. Live downtown and then uh, two blocks away is my studio. So it's nice. Nice. Don't have to drive anywhere. Oh, yeah. And you probably caught, man, there was a big movement in downtown LA. I think it was in the early 2000s. You probably caught maybe the middle of that, right? I know it's changing yeah, a lot. I, I have a friend. I have friends who work downtown, like Kim Swank and a bunch of people, Muka and uh, Amrita. They they talk about how much downtown is changing and evolving. But sorry, sorry. Go uh, ahead. Oh yeah. What part of town are you in? Right now, I'm in the valley. My wife and I finally bit the bullet and we bought a house. So I have. Ah, that, congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, I I finally converted like my back studio ADU in the back to um it's like a 600 square foot studio and you know it's got running water bathroom yeah it's beautiful and I love to work close to home because I'm working all day I'm like uploading stuff all day I'm marketing so I don't like to be separate from my studio and then have to come back and work with the computer or have it in the same it's just nice for me I like being close to home but I know different artists work different ways oh yeah you're the same oh yeah it's nice to have it separated Yes. Uh, at, for a long time, I worked out of my bedroom. Which, Me too. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You wake up and you look at your art every single day. Like it <laughs> can drive you a little crazy. Oh, um, yeah. But and you're kinda, smelling it with the oils, right? Like you're actually, did you ever have any problems? Did it ever give you any lightheadedness or anything like that? Um, honestly, because I've been working so much and I'm really thinking about my futures, I've, I've started wearing a respirator in my studio and I oh, have good. big, you know, medical grade air filters. I know I've been told it's non-toxic, but I know that stuff's not great for you to be smelling all the time. So I've been very conscious about it. I I wouldn't recommend, man, I used to back in dental school, I was like spray painting in my house inside with no respirator. Oh Um, yeah. When I was doing young, you're like, ah, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) My lungs are probably colorful. But also you're getting the oil, the oil, like I used to get it on my hands so much and it would just you know, that stuff's like seeping in through your pores a little bit. And you know, oh, I put yeah. brushes in my mouth. I get some pain in my <laughs> mouth, you know. Uh, so it's probably a good luckily idea as I'm we a, get older, right? Yeah. Luckily, I'm a pretty, uh, I, I do wear like, I wear gloves. I'm, I'm a pretty clean artist when yeah. in terms of like working space. So 
I don't get too messy. Well, um, I got to ask you because I get that all the time. People are like, how are you so clean? But I think it's from working from home, right? It it, it teaches yeah. you how to work clean. Oh, yeah, you have to. You can't yep. like trash your room or trash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I had to like, I had a studio here when I first moved down here. It was like, I was like 2003 or something. And I was a studio mm-hmm. that I lived in. And I would, you know, separate the workspace from the bedroom, in air quotes, with my big paintings. And then every day I would like break down my studio and build it up in my kitchen. So like I had to be, I had to be clean. Otherwise I would have paint Mm -hmm. all over the place, lose my security deposit, you know. So I think it does train Mm -hmm. us a little bit. But um, Mm -hmm. so I I think you got engaged recently, correct? I did. Congratulations, man. That is amazing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw that you had a bunch of big stuff going on. You were doing, was it Art Basel? Was that the big mural? It was. Tell us about uh, that a little bit. Oh, it was amazing. My first ever mural, it was in Wynwood. It was uh, 23 feet by 70 feet. Uh, My it was God. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, oh, it was amazing. It was the space that it was in the wall, it was like prepped like a beautiful canvas. Like I couldn't have asked for anything better. And so it's kind of right in the heart of Wynwood. The building's not open yet. It won't open until uh, February, March of this year. Um, oh, okay. So it's not really open to the public yet, but it will be. Um, I'll definitely make an announcement on my social media. For sure. But it was great. It was, uh, I've always... Even when I was working in like my room in a small space, I would work as large as I can. I always think large. It seems like you do as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Like, thinking, I love, love thinking big. I used to staple raw, not raw canvas, prime canvas. I would staple as big a sheet as I could to a wall mm-hmm. and leave room to stretch so I could paint big. Um, so I've always thought big. So a big mural uh, didn't necessarily scare me, um, but I didn't quite know how to do it, right? Like, Murals, working with spray paint is such a different medium than working with oil paint. Yeah, especially if you're making uh, that transition, rely- yeah. Yeah, and so with oil paint, when I paint, I really rely on the texture of oil paint to, it's kind of how I paint. So trying to figure out how to do this mural in essentially a more like, I don't know, 2D, you know, flat surface, Yeah, that took a lot of time and exploration and the way I actually discovered it was, ah, okay, I'm, this will come full circle. But mm-hmm. one of the things I love about art is the ability to explore and try. We have an endless and infinite amount of things to explore and try. We can get into anything we want. We could get into any medium we want. Like, yes. there's really no wrong answers. So about two years ago, I started a practice of their morning sketches. I'd go sit at the coffee shop with my fiance and she may read or journal and I would sketch these little characters, but it was just, it was pen and um, they're called polychromos pencils. They're like colored pencils, but better. Yeah. Polychromos colored pencils, people. We'll put a little Um, sponsorship here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'd love that. All right. (laughs) And so somebody clicks on it, you'll get it. You'll get five cents. Ooh, that'd be nice. (laughs) Um, So I started doing that. And essentially that was, I started to learn how to create in 2D because it was pen and colored pencil. And that eventually evolved into how I discovered, oh, this is how I'm going to execute the mural. Yes. Um, Because the mural was done in a much more illustrative way. Um, Yes. Yeah. And it was, uh, 
honestly, there was phases of it. If you saw my social media, where it was like a giant coloring book, it was about a, a month of planning. So I did it digitally. I created it in Procreate mm-hmm. uh, to scale. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did it, um, created it to scale and Procreate. And I basically made it like a giant coloring book. I then went on Montana Gold and Montana 94 on their website and I copied their color chart and brought it into Procreate. And I literally just started pulling colors off that and coloring in the animals. So I had a, I had a three layer gradient. So I had my like main color, like the highlight color, Mm -hmm. my medium dark, and then my dark, dark. So every character was broken up into those three gradients. And I just, yeah. So I would have my darkest brown, my medium brown and my light brown. And I just made a giant coloring, like, uh, and literally color this, 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 and this, this. Mm-hmm. And really the prep work is what took a long time. It's about a month of prep work. And so when I got on site, I realized that their color chart wasn't exact. So I spent like the first three days just getting all the colors and getting my gradient right. And once I got the gradient right, uh, just it was not a breeze. I mean, it was still a lot of work, but it really came together. Um, well, yeah, the prep work was so important. Mm-hmm. Did you use like, did you do a printout or did you actually use like a screen that while you were there? I know some people actually project stuff on the wall. How did you I do projected. that? You projected. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Brought yeah. out a projector, shot it, projected it in like two halves because it was so big. I had to shoot one, outlined it all, and then moved it over, shot the other side, outlined it all. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's amazing. Well, that's one thing I wanted to say. I want to give you a compliment because first of all, I'm a huge fan of texture. That's like what I'm obsessed with as well. I've always been drawn to your texture in your work and seeing something like this, that's the hard thing to to kind of make the jump from and to still mm-hmm. kind of retain your style. And I think you really did that. You, you did a good Thank job you. of like making that, oh, this is, I could tell this was Brent's work, but at ah. the same time, it was more two-dimensional. So I think all that prep work really, really worked. And you. you also do coloring books. Am I correct? Or you do, or was it inspired by the mural or was that something that actually kind of helped you to design that vice versa? Right. Yes, it was. So I started at Estabrook Studios as kind of my little fun playhouse where I get to design and create a lot of things that I've always wanted to create. That's kind of outside of eh, runs in conjunction with my fine art career. Yes. Um, yeah, fine art career, like you have to be mindful of of things you do and who you work with, like all that stuff. And Estabrook Studios was, yeah, kind of my fun design house where I got to create a lot of these things where I, I think of my niece and nephew a lot. I would mm-hmm. think like, would they enjoy this? And they enjoy the hell <laughs> out of it, right? Yeah. And so the way I created that was I just took some of my crazy stuff, the animal paintings, brought them into Procreate, put them in a layer, created a layer above it. And almost as quickly in flow state as I could took my oil painting and created illustrative line work out of it. And that was actually, I would say even more so what led to how I was going to create the mural. That was really the thing that after I did it, and I didn't know that was going to happen, right? Like it was just because I did it. And I was like, damn, this, I started to see and gain an appreciation for illustrative art, how just a simple black line can tell so much about form and shape. And oh, yeah. Uh, so that's really what opened up my creative mind to how I was going to create the mural was a coloring book. Oh, that's awesome. 
And I mean, it's just, it's just really interesting how in your career, I've noticed this too with me, like stuff that I thought I did in the past. Oh, okay. I did that. That was a little experiment. Like I took a year off and did an animation project for you. I didn't paint mm-hmm. for a year. I learned all the mm-hmm. 2d animation, you know, all that stuff. We used a light box and, you know, I was like, ah, eh, well, that was a wasted year. Cause this group I was with, we just never came to anything, but you find yeah. that later on you end up using these skills and it totally. comes around full circle. So that's really cool to hear. Yes, I I tell all artists this, um, explore, do stuff like that, get into animation, because they will, that will come back and there'll be something you've learned out of that that's going to enhance whatever you get, whatever creative project you get into in the future. Oh, yeah, um, it's, for sure. It's the great benefit to being an artist. It's the same thing for me with acting. I used to act and I kind of stopped acting in LA after a couple of years. And now I do the podcast and I do these little things, these little stupid little sketches on, my, on some of my episodes. And I'm like, look, mm-hmm. I'm acting. This is where the acting and the improv came from. So oh, yeah, it nice. all, sometimes it takes years. So for people listening, you know, it might not happen in a year. It could happen in 10 years, but you will reuse these, these skills. I swear. Yes. To um, yep. Well, let's move forward. So Love your texture, love your color, love the playfulness of your work. Why don't we just take a quick pause and tell people where to find your stuff? Because people are probably already excited and they want to see it if they don't know you. So where can they find you on social media and like your website? Okay, so social media, probably the best is Instagram. So it's just uh, at Brent Estabrook. So B-R-E-N-T-E-S-T-A-B-R-O-O-K. And then same as website. Yeah. Website's a little more formal. Yeah, but Instagram, I'd say, is probably the uh, the best place to find me. Definitely. And you have like, yep. what is it, like 116,000 followers or something like that? Yeah, I think 113. Oh, 113. Okay. Um, I, I gave you I gave yeah. you a few. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You'll get there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, that's no small feat in and of itself. So let's move on to, I think, Creature Comforts is your yes. first museum exhibition, Long Beach Museum of Art. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? I saw a post today on Instagram of you talking to some kids. Was that in the museum? Yes, it was. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, tell us a little so, bit about the show. Well, first, if I don't know when this is, this podcast is going to be put out, but um, I do it January, fast. It'll be, it'll be Tuesday, probably. Oh, awesome. So yeah. January 8th from 12 to 2. I believe it's a Sunday. I'm going to be down at Long Beach Museum of Art. So if you're around, oh, nice. please. Uh, Come say hi. I'll be hanging out, ah, just hanging out, talking to people. Yeah. Uh, so if you're listening but, to this, this is it's going to be either January second or third that this is up. So if you're listening to this, that gives you five days to get ready to go down and see Brennan at Long Beach. Yes. Yeah, um, so and I'll be going. doing another one in February. It runs till March thirteenth. Oh wow, that's show. great. Yeah, they extended it. Um, nice. Which I'm very thankful for. Very cool. Uh, so every Monday through Wednesday, the museum's closed because oh, now one of my she's now one of my collectors. Uh, she's a big like benefactor to the Long Beach Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Um, her and her partner they they take all fifth graders from the Long Beach School District, uh, rotate them, but they bring them in uh, to do little like tours of the museum and fun art projects. So I try That's to make amazing. it down there for as many as I can. Yeah, they looked like they were just fixated on the piece. (laughs) That was awesome. Uh, One of the things I always say where I kind of know where I'm on the right track is if I can get kids attracted to the artwork. Like if kids are engaged, yes, I'm uh, I'm on the right path. Yes, Um, because we're all kids. kids, Love it there. 
We're yes. all kids at heart. Like that's where our love and our passion and our enjoyment comes from. So if you can hook into the kids, you're onto something. I agree. It's uh, I I'm envious of kids because kids just know how to have a good time. They do what they love when they create. They're in the moment. They're not thinking about you know emails and all this BS. They're just <laughs> they're loving it. And it's kind of where the stuffed animal pieces came from was to bring back that kind of childhood joy the and inspiration. Yeah. Um, there's no inner critic with kids, you know? Yes. Ah, I like that. There's no inner critic. Um, yeah. It's been something I've been trying. I'm sure you've dealt with too, is we're kind of our own worst enemies, right? Oh like we yeah. A lot of self-doubt, yep. but getting over that and not having that inner critic and just creating for the sake of creating is a very powerful mindset to have as an artist. Yes. Uh, easier said than done sometimes, I'd definitely say, but yeah. Uh, the museum show, yeah, opened October 21st, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been awesome. So you're going to have like five months there. Yeah. Five or six, five or six, actually. What is that? October, November, December. Six yeah, months. Six maybe. months. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> that, yes, I never <laughs> counted out how long it was. Because normally, uh, you know, you've got a, a run in a gallery around a month or so, you know. Yeah. It gets extended. So that's that's a really nice chunk of time to have people be able to come and see your work. Yeah. it's uh, It was definitely a big step for me. Yeah. The relationship started back in 2012 with that first show. And I kind of kept a really good relationship with the um, director of the museum, Ron. Mm-hmm. And about two years ago, I had him over to my studio and I had... It's if you go to the show, you'll see it's my biggest oil painting ever. It's called Toy Box. It's um, ten feet by fifteen feet. Is that the one that's uh, so kind of split it. into three panels? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I have I had that in my studio, and he came over and saw it. Nice. Uh, He's like, "You want a museum show?" And I said, <laughs> "Yes." <laughs> there you go. You're like, let me think yes, about please. it. <laughs> uh, and I well, that's a great. A I mean, that's a great tip too. Just like to have people. You know, make sure you get people to come to your studio, see your work in oh, person. Okay. My one of my secret weapons is I try to get as many people to my studio as I can. Any yeah. artist out there with the with a good studio space, get bring people over, like set up a schedule and have people over because people want to come, people want to come hang out with you. They want to come see where you're working. Like it's a special experience that, you know, uh, fortunately we get to experience it every day. Yeah. There's a lot of people that don't get to experience it. And I'd say, uh, open that up because you will build a really special relationship with the people you bring over and they'll probably be collectors, you know, definitely Maybe not and, right that day, but I'm sure they will be more bought in. Right. And even down the road, I mean, you turn somebody who's uh, you know interested into a collector three years down the road, you know, that's like what I talk about with newsletters too. You know, you're just kind of planting seeds with people, getting them interested, yes. getting them interested in your story. Getting in the studio is great because you get to see everything live. You get to see the smells. You get to feel the energy from the studio because we can kind of like get a little bit, not disillusioned, but we just, we're used to it, right? So I think yes, we kind of forget totally. the power of having somebody like come through into the studio for the first time. Totally. Yeah, I've, that's exciting. I've been making a huge effort to turn my studio into an experience. I want people awesome. when they come over to have, I want people when they come over, not want to leave is there like my go. goal. I got to yes. kick them out eventually, but I want them <laughs> to come over and not want to leave. 
Um, I love that. And also, you know, I think that's something that's lacking nowadays, right? I mean, we used to, mm-hmm. it used to be such a big studio visit thing. Like artists would visit each other's studios all the time. And I, it still happens. Obviously, it's still happening with you. And it happens with other people that I know. But I think there is a tendency now with like Instagram, just be like, ah, eh, just put it online. People can see everything they want online. And that's great. Yeah. I love, and you use social media, you know, masterfully too, but getting them in the studio, it's on another level. It is key. Okay. I'm glad you brought this up. So recently, my two really good art friends, I love them, uh, Matt Gondek and Michael Brandrup. Um, mm-hmm. They're amazing, both amazing people. Uh, they live downtown as well. We started this thing called Artists Only Parties, which I'd love to have you at the next one. Oh, nice. Okay. We just eh, 10 to 20 artists. We hang out at one of our studios and just talk art and creativity um, because we're idea. trying to rebuild that community. But I've been telling them because they have both of them have amazing studios too is uh, set up a regular, if you can get a person in once a week to come visit your studio, like make it a habit, like uh, set up a schedule. It is going to benefit you big time. Cause again, they will probably be collectors in the near future. Um, the people you get to your studio and art in person, you know, is so much better than art online. Definitely. That's a yeah. great tip because also it's about numbers on some level, right? I mean, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're making a point of getting one person in, you say a week or a month, a week. I mean, instead of yeah. whatever it be, if you can, if you want to get three in a week. Yeah. But um, think about it. I mean, just whatever. with that alone, you're getting 50 people into your studio in a year. And mm-hmm. even if 10% of those people buy something, that's five new collectors you got there. So yeah, yep. that's, that's big. I have somebody coming in after this podcast. Oh, there you go. You're like, I got to get out of here. Well, let me know. Let me know <laughs> when you got to get off. Cause I don't want to get in the way of that, but um, that's awesome, man. That's really, that's a really great tip for people. And I wanted to go off of something you said earlier, which was, you know, kind of hooking into that kind of childhood state. I always ask people what their superpower is. How do you get, I know you're also into flow state like I am. I've heard you talk about it and uh, music is huge for me. I know it's huge for you. I literally am listening to music all day long when I'm on my computer, Mm -hmm. when I'm in the studio, whatever it is, I have it going. Is that something that helps you to access kind of that, that creative side, quiet the inner critic, get into the flow state, or do you have other things that are go-tos for you? Oh, yes, I definitely have go-tos. Nice. Um, uh, so one, okay, on the music note, I love, I'm sure like all other artists, I love listening to music while creating. It's, uh, they're very synergistic. I've met, I although I've met a couple artists who are like, I only paint in silence. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. I, you know, honestly, I paint in silence at times as well. It's, mm-hmm. um, I would say, I'd say 80% of the time when I'm painting, I probably have music on. Yeah. Now, okay, one of my favorite radio stations, uh, K-Jazz, uh, 88.1, K-Jazz out of Long Beach. I, okay, I found an absolute love for jazz music. I see so many parallels in jazz music to creating, low state, kind of in the moment creating. So improvisational Um, and artistic, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. But I love, uh, I love Pink Floyd. Uh, I love all the stuff from the 60s, 70s. Yeah, that's what I heard. You're a 70s guy. Yep. But my my real game changer that I've been exploring for a long time, but it maybe took a long time for this to become a habit or a ritual or whatever you want to call it, is I have a pretty strong meditation practice now. Um, Very cool. A daily meditation practice. Um, Yes. And, you know, before I even tell you what it is, 
Uh, I'm not saying that this would work for everybody. However, what I would say is everybody start trying to find your meditation practice, whatever it be. Uh, I'll give you There's a quick so many different forms of meditation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's have mine a, too. And it's very work. fast. Yeah. Ooh, uh, I want to hear what yours is as well. Yeah, walk um, us through what you do. Okay, so every morning, probably for the past three years, pretty religiously, I started a thankful journal. Um, so I'll spend oh, maybe great. 15 minutes. Yeah, 15 minutes writing things that I'm thankful for. Uh, art, my fiance, food, the coffee I'm drinking, the day, the sunshine, whatever it be. Uh, thankful for myself. Yeah, uh, I've been doing that pretty religiously for the past three years. And is that only in the morning? In, sometimes I do it at night. Sometimes I do it midday. But I'd say uh, in the morning is my main time to do it. Yeah. Kind of start the day with it. Okay. Uh do that. And then um, exercise and diet is definitely a big part of kind of Huge. my creativity and flow state. Um, you know, healthy body, healthy mind kind of thing. But my real game changer that is it's like nitric oxide for my my creativity is mainly midday around. I'll probably do it after this uh, podcast when I get to the studio is I do a breathwork routine. Uh, yes. So I do, you know, Wim Hof. I love Wim Hof. Love Wim Hof. I yes. actually developed my own interval breathing technique before I even know who Wim Hof was, but he takes it to another level. But keep wow. going. I'm fascinated. Well, I, I was going to say, Hof. so Wim Hof breathing is one of them. And I also do, uh, it's called box breathing. So four seconds in, four seconds hold, four hold. seconds yep. out, four seconds hold. Um, oh, yeah. So but, good. But I guess to keep it simplified, so I'll do three rounds of Wim Hof breathing. And during the exhale breath hold, I'll kind of either I'll sit and meditate or I might do some push-ups or stretching or kind of whatever feels right. But during that breathing meditation, I so every time I do a set, <laughs> I got into the point where I have these insanely profound aha moments. Like, yes, you know, maybe oh I'm God. trying to figure out how to proceed with something. During this time, it's almost with 100% certainty, I find the answer to it. And I'm able to then execute on that. I, I'm shaking my head vigorously because I completely, completely understand. And I completely agree. It's like, it'll just it's a come game changer. to you. It's amazing. And I and, yes. and getting ideas for paintings too. I, I get... Same I just, here. Yeah, it's insane. But keep going. I, get, I don't want to... Either I get flow. painting <laughs> ideas or I get uh, just other life things like how yes. to proceed with life but you know i'm sure with you my life is so much tied to my art that they're kind of one in the same now yeah but um that breathing technique and again you don't necessarily have to do wim hof breathing you could do whatever breathing technique you find or whatever meditation form you find that has been i can't believe more people don't do it i can't believe it's not it's like magic uh, it's like magic. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's and it's so simple. And it's you have it all with you. You don't need anything. Everybody has the power to do it. It's free. I mean, even it's Wim Hof free. has he has like a free version of his app, I believe, that you can start mm -hmm. with and kind of get an idea of what the, the method is. And then I think you can pay for it if you want to get into it more. But I mean, it's just it's all there. It's at your fingertips. Yeah. What's uh what's your practice? So I used to do this thing back in the day when okay, so I used to be a big drinker. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was something that was like attached to my creativity for a while, but it kind of, it mm, kind of got I to a through that phase. Oh, you went through that phase. Okay. I, yep. I got to a place where it was becoming, you know, 
it, it, it turned its ugly head and, and it started to take me to a dark place. So I was starting to kind of like get back on my feet with everything. And I used to listen to Tony Robbins a bit back in the day, mm-hmm. like way back in the day. And he had this interval breathing technique and I can't find it anymore, but I, I kind of mm-hmm. like developed it from that. So it's basically, it's a meditation. You, you, you get in your meditation, you know, whatever it is, sitting cross-legged, whatever you want to do, sitting in a chair, laying down. Sometimes I'll even do it at a, like upside down on the inversion table, and which is oh, harder. I wish I had one of those. Oh, it's great. I love it. And so I'll do an inhale, inhale for seven. So it's intervals of seven, inhale for seven, hold for 28, exhale for 14. And it sounds like a lot and it mm. doesn't have to be exactly like one too. It can be a little sped up. It's more the intervals that that can't, that matter. Um, mm-hmm. And I do 10 of those. And I try to do those three times a day in the morning, midday, at night. Sometimes I mm. can only get in one. But man, when I started doing this, it was like, first of all, it, it it hooks you into the meditation in a way, because a lot of people are so worried about their breathing and like thinking. When you start counting the intervals, it just kind of it takes away your thinking for a while. Yes. And it's like a shortcut into that. And then I started to get to a place where, first of all, it was great for my health. I haven't been sick in like 18 years and like, I just don't get mm-hmm. sick anymore. But it was one of those things for me where I started to do visualization while I was doing the intervals. I started to see, wow. you know, like an athlete will visualize their goals. I started doing yep. some of that stuff. And I swear to God, I just, it became so powerful. It was like a lot of my, my career just came into place. I quit my day job. I was started you know, painting full-time, selling my work to collectors all over the world. And it just like keeps building. So whenever I get off track, I get back into the breath, get back into these things. And it's really powerful. So it's really cool to hear that you would have something similar. It's cool to hear that you have one too. And you have, a. this is like, I can't stress this enough. Like everybody's going to have a different one that works for them. And it's, yes, I, you got to start exploring them because you have one that I've never even heard of, but I'm sure it works phenomenally for you yeah it works for me <laughs> yeah i've got uh, my wife doing cool. it a little bit and she likes it too so i guess mm. uh but yeah the the most important thing too is you know giving yourself a little bit of a break from your own thinking or at least getting yourself to be able to witness your own thoughts right mm. and and mm-hmm. separate a bit from all that negative like the inner critic you can separate from that and 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 witness it and be a little bit, you know, objective about your thoughts. Cause some people are so caught up in their thoughts. They don't even know why they're thinking they're like on the, on the hamster wheel. And oh, they don't even realize gosh. what they're doing, you know? Yeah. I yeah. had a friend recently tell me, which I thought was kind of a cool thing about your inner voice. Oh, what was it? Like learn, make your inner voice talk to you like a nurturing parent would, you yes. know, like we're so harsh on ourselves when we shouldn't be. Um, right. Yeah. Like be a little more, uh, talk positively to learn how to get your inner voice to talk positively to you. If if you can do that, you have succeeded in life. I would say no matter your financial success, whatever, if you can talk positively to yourself, I guarantee that will manis- manifest to all the success you ever wanted in life. I agree. It, it's Encourage a yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because if most yep, people it is heard, a if most people heard how the, how they speak to themselves out loud, like you oh. would be, you would be put away. It's yep. that intense. You would never talk to another human being that way. And yet you talk to yourself that way every day. So yes. Yeah. I think that's really powerful, man. And, and, you know, I don't know if you're like a manifestation guy, but like, even if you're not, it's the same mechanism that's working. You know what I mean? You're, yep. you're, you're putting those thoughts in there. Same thing with your gratitude journal or, or, or whatever your gratitude practice, 
you're just filling your body like you are with your diet. You're filling your body up with these positive things. And it yeah, you see it manifesting in your life. You do. Yep. Yeah. It's uh one of the greatest things that my fiance Tara taught me. And it's another thing, it's one of those things. This is free to absolutely everybody. Yeah. Is she just told me to be mindful of how I verbally speak about myself and things I'm doing. Like, you know, like, oh, I don't think I can do that. No, mm -hmm. like stop, flip that around. Like, oh, of course I can do that. When you speak out loud about yourself and listen, if, if you have a significant other or close friend that you always hear them speaking negatively about themselves, tell them to knock that shit out because they're yes. just, they're basically manifesting negativity. Like it's, and it's you're not feeling that it. too. You're getting like the collateral damage of their bad thoughts too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's yeah. a, Focus on what's thriving in life. We all, uh, especially here in America, we live in an amazing time. We we have so many things to be thankful for. Focus on that stuff. Your life will improve. And you know what's funny? When I speak to people like you and, and some of the stuff that I've tried to do in the podcast and convey it, and other artists who are actually making a living doing what they do, there's some similarities with what we're saying with a lot of people who are, who are thriving, be, you know, mm -hmm. because... It's all your mental state. It really is. Um, I it mean, is. Assu assuming you have some level of talent, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. your, it's your mental state. And the people that I know who are doing well, they don't have the the jealousy bullshit. They don't go online and like hate on other people. If, if mm -hmm. you succeed, I'm happy for you genuinely. I know there's enough out there for all of us. And, and it sounds like yes. you have a, a kind of a similar mindset. Abundance. Abundance. For Abundance, sure, man. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's keep moving a little bit. This is great. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to get, you know, a lot out of that. I want to also hit some of the points with you and your career. I, if I'm not mistaken, do you do a lot of your sales? You direct a lot of your sales through your own personal website, correct? I do now. Um, yeah. yeah. I would say I'm at the point in my career where really museum, museum shows and my studio, I want, I want my studio to become the premier place to acquire my artwork. That's beautiful. And yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I get, you know, there's powers and galleries and stuff like that, but I kind of want to become my own, my own art machine. I want to, uh, <laughs> that sounds bad, but I want to monopolize my no, artwork. It doesn't sound I want to, uh, yeah, yeah I, I want to really enhance the experience. And I know I can do that with myself and my team that's working with me. Um, yes. So now, I do have a manager and I have, let's see, I have two assistants and a PR. Oh, very um, cool. Girl. So I'm building a little bit of a team, but yeah, I'm, I want to do everything in-house now. I, uh, it's nice because I think as artists, we have the tools to do all that. We can create our own mailing list. We can do our own pop-ups and shows, but it's really about nurturing and strengthening that community and, and followers that you have. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And we have this ability nowadays to do that. You know, assuming you're taking the right approach, you built, you worked with galleries for many years. I mean, I know you're still doing the museum stuff, but like once you establish that collector base, like why wouldn't you go straight to, to collectors? Why wouldn't you cut out the middleman? You know, you can probably do it better than a gallery can at this point. Yeah, I know. I'm still, it's kind of one of those things like, Will I ever work with galleries again? Eh, I don't know. Maybe if the 
if the conditions are right, but I'm fortunate I'm in a position in my career where I really don't have to do anything anymore that I don't necessarily want to. I, I get to do all the stuff I want to. That's amazing. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And that should be something that everybody shoots for to hear you yep. doing it. It's possible. I have a different thing. I, I work with a lot of online. Online was something that really just opened up my whole career. And I work with a lot mm. of online galleries, but I also do sell through social media, through my website. And I have other avenues. What online galleries? Like Saatchi? I do. I do. Well, yeah, Saatchi is, I've been with them for a long time. I actually had the GM of Saatchi on here. Um, Artfinder. Oh, whoa. Yeah, Artfinder. I had I had the CEO of Artfinder on here too. Um, Artfinder was probably my biggest. They were the one that I first started selling online with. Like I had a big sale to the UK, and I was like, "Oh, it was like you were saying. It was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is possible, you know." Mm-hmm. And that was that opened my eyes, and then I started to make a practice out of it. But yeah, it's Artfinder. It's Sachi. It is Singular. Um, I do Art Majeure there out of France. I actually have a, a magazine article coming out with them in the next month. Ooh, congratulations. Um, yeah, so like a lot of stuff there, and then I do thank you, and then I do a lot of stuff through my website and through social media as well. But it it makes me feel like I am cutting out the middleman a little bit with galleries, the brick and mortar galleries. I have a lot more control over doing it from my studio, although I mm-hmm. am giving a percentage, obviously, to yeah. the online art marketplaces. So you're you're taking it a step further, and you're, I mean, I'm assuming your manager and, and some of these people get some of the income as well, but you're mm-hmm. cutting out a little bit of that percentage. Yeah, that's good. I, and I'm not saying it's the the right path for all artists. Um, it's really if you establish a good relationship with a gallery or whatever it be. Yeah. As long as it's a good relationship, do it. Because uh, as long as they know, care the about one, you, right? Yeah, yeah. The one great thing about galleries is um, getting into art fairs, right? Like LA Art Show, yes, Basel, um, mm-hmm. Freeze, whatever it be. Still to get into those. You, uh, and man, what a great way to get exposed to new collectors from around the world. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. If you could show out at like Context or Scope or Art Miami, you got to do it with a you got to do it with a gallery. Which um, yeah, I don't think you can do it as great, an individual, right? You can't. Uh, yeah, uh, not the big fairs. Yeah, um, I'm sure some of the smaller ones you can, but the ones you want to be in, you got to go in with a, a gallery. Yeah, you can do like the other art fair, Sachi. You can do that individually. Some things like that, but yeah, if you're going scope or art basel or la art show you have to be with a gallery la art show um, yep. yeah yeah who did you first show with i think you said it was 2014 or 15 which gallery were you with at the la art show uh at the time it was called uh medici medici oh, no, okay it's called Mag- no no it's called magello magello uh, okay but which eventually turned into james wright gallery Okay. Yeah. I saw you worked with James Wright on your, on your Instagram. I wasn't sure yeah. if there was a connection there. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, so now I'm interested in the future. Cause you're doing, I see you're doing like a little more geometrical stuff. You're, you're expanding a little bit. I love the geometrical stuff. I, I have a place in my heart for that too. You're doing some bags, you're doing some sculptures, you got the coloring book. It's very exciting. I want to hear what you're interested in working on now. And you can talk about any of those and a little sub question is, um, if we're not getting too far in the weeds here, is didn't you do something with Louis, Louis Vuitton and you worked a little bit with Takashi Murakami, right? Or am I crazy here? <laughs> well, that's a good, I'm glad you perceived it that way. Um, I, <laughs> well, I saw it on um, Instagram, but yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so my fiance loves, uh, she loves purses. And I found, I didn't really, I'm not big into like fashion or luxury things things i'm into cars i'm really into cars there you go but 
it wasn't until I, I met her and I started seeing like these purses, like Louis Vuitton purses, uh, Dior, all that. The they were little art pieces. They were the Gucci, the yeah. craftsmanship of them was it was beautiful. Um, yeah. And so I kind of started to gain appreciation for them, and I painted on one of her. I painted on a few of her bags, which she wears around everywhere. My little, uh, let's see. Yes, yes. Bear symbol. The bear um, symbol. It's kind of with the so upside it's a great down convers- face. Yeah. Yep. It's a great conversation starter. And I Definitely. plan on doing it more. But uh, to be honest, I didn't work directly with them. I hope to soon. Yeah. Or actually, I will. Soon. You will. There you go. I love it. <laughs> you will. Putting it out there. Uh, Chikashi, if you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. I just got leather paint, which again, another great revenue if you're an artist out there with a you know you kind of have a symbol and you could find somebody maybe you offer for free that has you know like a louis vuitton bag to paint on it you know as a little promotion uh do it it's a fun it'll unlock more doors and you probably could find something on social media you could probably make some connections if your stuff's good enough right there so there's an artist gucci ghost Mm -hmm. do you know him no he i know gucci he started uh (laughs) He's, I think his name's Andrew, real nice guy. He started like painting on, I forgot what it was. Like he just started painting on maybe, I don't know, do, does Gucci make shoes? He painted on something Gucci. They probably and eventually, do. yeah, eventually Gucci noticed and now he like, he's blown up. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's so many routes and avenues for artists to, to do things like that. Um, that's Muka. But, there's a girl who's been on the podcast who's with Shockbox, a gallery I work with, and she I think she follows you and likes your stuff too. Ah, she I does know some, who she is. You know Muka, right? I run yeah. to her at the coffee shop all the time. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yes. she works downtown. Muka is all about that fashion, Gucci, you know, um, Balenciaga, all that stuff. She's all about she would love to get in with these big fashion icons. So yeah, that's another avenue. I would say it's I'm it's a, an amazing time to be an artist because brands want to work with artists. They want to work with you. For right? sure. Like yeah. um, you're adding a lot of value to them. So that's that. And then, okay, some new series I'm working on. So I, one of the series, and I have some, uh, I have two examples in the museum show. Okay. Uh, I used to call them square quilts. Uh, oh yeah. Yep. Now I'm I'm rebranding. I've kind of I thought more deeply of what they meant to me. And actually in February at my studio slash gallery, I'm gonna be having a little solo show, kind of really debuting what I used to call square quilts. I now call them infinite moments is nice. a new uh series name. These are the um, ones that are semi-geometrical that I'm talking about, correct? Yeah, like they're the, the ones that are just squares. They're like and, squares. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I oh, want yeah, you to look to honest, back at some point over my website because I did a, a whole series of like pixelated square things with texture. And I think you'll dig them. Ah, yeah. Ah, I saw it and I was I like, oh, he's going of, Yeah. <laughs> a lot of artists kind of explore the, um, there's some other famous artists, I'm blanking on the names, who kind of yeah. explore these. But I, I get why artists explore it now. It's uh, There's something meditative about the process right it's uh it's a, such a simple composition but there's but within that there's so much beauty and there's so much exploration you could find even in that simple composition and so sorry to interrupt you but pieces, i also find that it helps you to kind of become a little bit more intuitive with 
color and like what works well together finding a color that, to bounce off this other shape with and this other color with oh man 100 percent. so i started this series kind of in the middle of the pandemic and i in 2000 i don't know maybe 2017 or so i was down in san diego at balboa park mm-hmm. and there's a san diego museum of art and i had like three hours to kill i was waiting for a friend and um so i went and strolled to his park i went into the museum and they had an Amish quilt show going on. Oh, wow. And it is still to date the most impactful show I've ever been to. Um, really? Uh, oh, it was amazingly beautiful. Wow. The patterns, the colors, the quality of the stitching, like everything was so beautiful. And a lot of them were just these simple square quilts. One was just a blue and orange checkered quilt. Yeah. But it was the perfect blue and the perfect orange with the most beautiful stitching in it. And ever since then, it was kind of stuck in my head uh, that I knew at some point in my career I would do it. So during the pandemic was kind of the first time I really started exploring them. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm so in love with doing these is that my so my real forte in oil painting is uh, color and texture. Like yes. it's I I tell people I spend eighty percent of my time mixing color and twenty percent of my time painting. Like I'm huge on color. Mm-hmm. And so these infinite moments, these square quilts, they were so simple in composition that it allowed me to focus on what I really loved about oil painting. That was color and texture. So yeah, the color is, I generally do them all in three gradients. So the highlight color, the main color, the master color, and then the dark color. I love things in threes. Uh, Almost like what you're talking about right? with, the, with your mural. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did the mural in, in a set of three because I love things in threes yeah, yeah. from those pieces. And every time I had one of those painted, one of those squares, I knew exactly what I was going for, right? Like I knew what it was going to look like, but it allowed me to be so in the moment because I didn't really have to think about what I was doing. But that's mm-hmm. what I value so much about them is... yes. There's no essentially really wrong answers to it. It's these kind of simple brushstrokes, but each one becomes its own really unique moment. And they're very impactful to me because I I can almost remember that time doing them. And I, I could endlessly look at their, their paintings to me that I would personally, as an artist who created them, I'd never get tired of looking at them because they're so, I don't know, they're hard to explain but uh no i i agree i have the same thing when i look at them and it's you're right it's like a meditative process doing these oh yeah shapes you really get lost oh, yeah. in the moment time kind of expands and slows down yep yeah um and it was and the way i paint them i've done one that i guess is a pattern um it's a black and pink checker pattern but for uh-huh. the most part i paint one square and I try to follow my, this was the first time where I really tried to follow my good gut intuition of what to do next. Yes. So I'd paint a color and it was kind of just what feels right to do next, what color feels right. And I just followed that intuition through the entire, in all the pieces, just through the entire piece. And it's a liberating mindset to paint in. Yes, um, because no, it's structured, but it's also improvisational at the same totally, time. Totally, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I love them. I love them. So I love them too. Thank you. Oh man, you got to see them in person. Yeah, I, I definitely will. And you have some ones that are like almost, they're a little bit warped too that you're working with, correct? Yep. 
if you see the evolution of them, when I first started, I measured out like every square, like with a ruler, you know, mm-hmm. drew the lines. And the more I work on them, the more I simplify the process in terms of the kind of creative energy it needs to get going. Like before, you know, it was a lot of setup. Now it's once I have the color mix, like blank canvas, I just kind of whatever shape it wants to be is what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, it's yep. it's really nice. Uh, I'm getting ready to actually start a new one in the studio. I'm prepping the canvas right now. It's uh, Oh, that's exciting. Yep. Yeah, there's just something so, I don't know, it's weird. It's so simplistic, but it's also profound at the same time. You know, yep. and if you're uh, and if you're trusting your yeah, yeah, and I think that's one thing that is important to me moving forward as an artist is finding that simplicity, almost you know synthesizing it down as much as possible, finding yep. the strength and the line, the color, the texture. So I definitely it resonates with me what you're doing, uh, and I'd love to see one in person at some point. I wanted to ask you if you have something else to say, please continue. But I wanted to ask you about your limited edition print release, the Good Friends series, mm-hmm. and that sold out. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Any tips to artists who are planning on doing kind of a limited edition print series? How were you so successful with it? Um, okay. One, I still know probably the most popular work I do is the stuffed animal piles. Mm-hmm. Um, people love those. So they're great. Yeah. But thank you. They, they take an incredible amount of time to create. So it was one way to, how do I share this more? Right. Like mm-hmm. beyond just the collector who's getting it. So I'm planning on doing more limited edition prints of those, mm-hmm. uh, those pieces in particular. And I still, I, as an artist, I always like to keep things. I definitely always start off limited. Mm-hmm. Now I have, you know, I only did 25 of them. I have some artist friends who make a killing doing, you know, like editions of 200, 500, uh, financially make a killing. Yeah. Um, I started lower, higher price. I would say definitely uh, paper is a printing on watercolor paper is one of my favorite mediums. The only hassle is this when collectors get it, they have to frame it, which can cost them like additional. Yeah, but it's uh, easier to ship because you could roll it up in a tube. But one of the things, and this is kind of into a larger conversation, which uh, Michael Brandrup actually is big on this, and he kind of got me started on it, is... Uh, starting, and this will come full circle too, starting um, building your own email list because he always says, you know, you don't own your Instagram followers. You don't own your TikTok followers. You own it away at any time. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, So you own your mailing list. And so within that mailing list, I started this called friends list. Mm -hmm. And I was giving people on who subscribe to my friends list like 48 hours early access to purchase the print before anybody else, before I showed it on social media. Oh, nice. So I'm, That's a good idea. Yeah, I started creating these incentives that people actually tune in and pay attention to my newsletter because I, I want to create benefit mm-hmm. in it. Well, and you're creating but, a little scarcity as well. Yeah. So yeah. I sold all my prints through my friends list. It was before it got to social media. Oh, and, nice. And now I'm hoping to kind of build the narrative that Okay, if you're only paying attention on social media, you're going to miss it because my friends list is getting access to it all before. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the, I guess, strategies that worked out really well. But nurturing that email list and really providing value in that 
can help with anything from print drops to art sales to other merchandise you do. Yes. Um, yeah. Give incentive to those people who are, those are your real fans. The ones that are signing up the real, real fans. Um, right. Now in terms of prints, I'm probably not the best person to ask for this. Cause I don't have like a crazy strong print print game. Like um, I'm yeah, thinking I don't either. I have it on my deck. website, but yeah, it takes effort. Like you got to really focus everything here's everything and this is a i guess a life lesson everything if you really want it to be done right takes a lot of effort even from selling a print Uh, it's not just you put a print up and it sells like there's a lot of thought a lot of how you're going to market it how many emails are you going to send out to people beforehand how are you going to market on social media these things take i would say business thought not just create like i'd say business can be creative but you have to look i i'm sure like many artists you fall in the trap where all you want to do is you know paint on a canvas like you don't want to think about anything else i've got it required yeah yeah to be successful it requires that you nurture some of these other things right you take time to think about and really execute things well um well only i think only about 40 percent of my time i spend painting now i still paint every day but like so much of my time is spent with marketing and business and uploading stuff and making connections and reaching out to collectors and stuff like that that i don't i would agree with you yeah and i also don't paint the same boat you're the same boat yeah okay yeah so sorry i think i probably interrupted you keep going oh and then i interrupted you (laughs) (laughs) we don't even know where Um, we are anymore so limited edition prints Yes, I would encourage all artists to explore this idea because it's a great way to gain a lot of new collectors. Maybe they can't afford your original work, Mm -hmm. but this is a great way to get people kind of bought into you and your story and your art. Yes. Um, And there's many ways if you need, you can, there's print houses everywhere. If you need it to be photographed, you can take the painting to a lot of these places. They'll photograph it like high res photograph for you or they'll scan it. You can do screen print. It's very accessible for any art to turn anybody's art into a print. Yes. And it's a great, like you're saying, it's the gateway drug. I, I would talk to Mike yeah. Collins. Uh, oh, that's a good way of putting it. Director of uh, Jacques Box. I always tell him because I started out, I did these little micro paintings. I used to buy these little tiny antique frames and I would just let the frame speak to me. And I create this little really textured oil pieces off of those. Whoa. And those started selling like hotcakes. That's what actually kind of sparked a lot of my my sales, my consistent sales. And then it was like that. It was the gateway drug. Cause you could buy one of these for like a mm-hmm. hundred bucks, 150 bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then people would come back and buy a bigger piece. And I think you yep. can do a similar thing with prints. Ooh, I like that gateway drug. <laughs> the first <laughs> one's free kid. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'd be an interesting business model to pursue. Yeah, right? uh, yes, exactly. See if you gave out a, yeah. Just come oh, out man. in your trench coat, you know, with some prints, you know, <laughs> <laughs> start hawking those on the street. Um, Dude, what's yeah, but cool it is, is there's a scenario that trench coat with paintings inside where you could turn that, you could become a world famous artist if you really did that to, you know, your best ability, right? Yes. Use every morning, like every day you did it. Yeah. You would become world famous in probably six months. Yeah, people would be like, "Oh, the guy! Oh, yeah, the guy with the trench coat!" Yeah, yeah. One of the <laughs> or, new or the girl, you know. Yep. One of the new interesting things I'm doing, which is pretty new to me, is uh, really creatively focusing on my brand, like mm-hmm. building my brand. The 
the language, you know, I use and we use the color patterns, the logos. I'm actually in the process of building a brand guide pamphlet for my whole team. How many emojis I use in things like uh, it's a fun process. Um, It may be, you know, may not do it at the beginning of an art career, but at some point, I think it's important to. It's so important. It's yeah. So important. nowadays we are completely a brand. All artists are a brand. You get pushback a lot of times on people like, oh, well, being an artist is not an entrepreneur or being an artist, you don't have a brand. I, I don't think that I don't think anybody can really say that with a straight face anymore. That those lines yeah. have become so blurred. And if you want to yeah. have a career moving forward, we never even got into NFTs. I was going to ask you, did you <laughs> did you even venture into NFTs at all? I did one NFT. Okay. Uh, that's about that's what it. I did too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I don't know. I'm, I had some friends. Do you know Wisby? Yeah. Wisby was talking to me about NFTs like a year and a half before I even heard somebody mention NFT. And man, I wish I would have listened to him at that right. time. Right. Exactly. Um, but I'm glad I did the one. But to be honest, it wasn't, I still haven't quite figured out, I would just say the digital medium. Mm-hmm. um animate like animation level medium and i you know nfts are kind of tied i guess tied to digital type stuff and so i never found my creative process in it at that time however mm-hmm. i know whether it's in a year or 10 years i will have a very strong digital art world whether it's vr whether it's an an animated series whether it's animated you know TV screens that are one-off, you know, animation paintings. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You I know almost it's, have to, right? At this point. Yeah. 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 I can't wait till I was I always say this. I can't wait till I can get Pixar to animate one of my like stuffed animal piles, right? Oh, Think of like man. Monsters Inc., but all of Amazing. them like kind of move, right? Yeah. Um that interests me. And I know it's coming and it will come at the right time. But, but you're also just, but the I, importance is you're open to it. You're you're already putting totally those feelers open out there. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm like any, I'd say any smart artist should be open to it. Yes. Anybody should be open to any good idea. <laughs> you know? I agree. And technology, by the way, because I used to be one of those guys way back in the day. I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on painting. When I started learning how to develop my own website, learning animation, learning this the, you know, podcast, editing, all these types of things. Once I started expanding my horizons, that's when really things kind of fell into place. And now this probably happened to you in the pandemic. I know so many artists who were just with brick and mortar galleries. And when the pandemic first hit, they were scrambling because they had no mm-hmm. way to sell their work. Well, mm-hmm. maybe not no way, but there was not as many avenues. And the people who were yeah, selling yeah, yeah. online, I had my best year ever. You know what I mean? So I always challenge myself, even when I get overwhelmed to at least be open to new technologies, open to new avenues yeah. that are coming you know, down the pipeline. Yeah, there's so many ways to, as an artist, to, uh, I guess, monetize. Yeah, what you're doing, and uh, you said there, the your animating is gonna like that is gonna probably in five years. Who knows what doors that opens up for you, right? Like creatively, yeah. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's I would I love I love embracing. Uh, I've learned to really embrace change and kind of uncomfortability. Um, doing things that I'm not quite comfortable with because that's like that growth. You're adding more, uh, somebody said it way more elegant 
even I'm going to say it, but you're adding more like tools to your like arsenal, right? You like your yeah. creative arsenal. It's For nice sure. being diverse and being able to jump into a lot of these things. Yes. And there you're right. There's no really ability to have growth unless you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone a bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I always end with a couple personal questions. Um, not not like deeply personal. But first of all, before we do, I want to give you a chance to tell people one more time where they can find your work and then tell us about you know what you got on the horizon. I know you got the Long Beach uh, Museum of Art. That'll be, you said, January 8th, I believe you'll be down there. But yeah, January 8th. Come down if you're in the LA area. Yeah, um, you will not be disappointed seeing Brent's work. And then tell us one other thing you got going on or something that you're excited coming up and where people can find you. And then I'll we'll we'll finish with a couple of quick questions. Uh so February, oh, I think the set date is February 16th. I'll be having a little solo show at my studio. So I have a gallery downstairs and a studio above. Oh, um, nice. Yes, I'll be having. Wait, wait, little... you, so you have your own? You have your own gallery downstairs? Yep. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to come by, man. I definitely uh, will come by for sure. So, we're going to be having a little opening. Then it's in downtown LA. I'll have all the info on my Instagram, uh, which is yeah, Brent Estabrook, uh, and then my website, Brent Estabrook. But really, uh, oh, sign up for my newsletter. My friends list is yes. uh, that. I send the most comprehensive information, the most, uh, all the good secret stuff too. Um, because so downstairs at my opening, I'll have downstairs open for kind of general public, but upstairs the show will continue, but only for RSVP select people. Nice. Um, so nice. There you go. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like a fun time. So you got long beach museum of art. Uh, your show has been extended. You'll be down there January 8th. And then you've got February, you said 14th? 16th. 16th, sorry. February 16th yep. will be kind of a studio opening of your own work. And then... That, Brent, yeah, go ahead. I'm, uh, I got a lot of... Uh, I got a few commission pieces I'm doing. And I'm always uh, I'm always creating and painting. Uh, yes. And I don't... I know the, there's some other big stuff the rest of that year. But honestly, I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, the main thing I would just recommend for people to do is follow you on Instagram. You're really yes. on point with that. You'll get a lot of updates there, and then you can join the friends list. That's easy to do when you go to brennestbrook.com. Uh, it's right at the beginning. You can just click join the friends list, all those things, and you'll get the inside scoop on uh, yes. on Brent's stuff. So the last thing that I want to do, I always ask people a few things. We kind of talked about daily routines, so you covered all that. In any good interview, people typically answer most of these questions. <laughs> so you answer most of them already. <laughs> but um, I'm going to ask you just a couple more that we didn't hit. So biggest failures. Is there a failure that you can think of that you had people push back on failure, but something that you did didn't succeed with? And what did you learn from it? If you can think of anything. Mm, I would say for a long time, not. Uh, here's one thing mm -hmm. is not realizing that art is a business and I do got to nurture that business side. And I used to kind of just not even pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Almost like I would it kind of like, you know, in the art world, like if you pay attention to the business, you're not like a real artist kind of like I was trying to be a real artist that didn't ever focus on it. And I think it personally held me back a lot. Definitely. 
Yeah. And so I finally learned to embrace that and look at the positive of it and all the fun, creative things I can do on the business side. That's going to just enhance everything for me. But that and yeah, for a long time, it was uh, not embracing change, Mm -hmm. uh, being afraid of it. Even I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, I'd say the most successful people I've all, no, I'd say all the successful people I've met in life are people who have a growth mindset. And I'm not talking like business growth. I'm talking about personal, right? Like they realize where they fail in life and they take action in life to change themselves. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, that, that zero to one, that even small, minute changes, maybe it's like, even take the tiniest personal change you can make in life. Even that little change I understand is difficult and scary to go through. Definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the simplest stuff, but going that zero to one, like first you make micro improvements in life and then you start making macro improvements. And after yes. you go to that zero to one, then when you start making improvements, it becomes so much easier. It becomes easy. It does. It's not easy, but it you get used to the process of change and then damn you just have like exponential growth it's so uh, true it's so true yeah so for a long time i wouldn't even go that zero to one i was too afraid to even take the kind of first steps to making self changes and that probably you know i could have done that back in 2014 if i had the mindset to do it i just was too afraid to do it you are preaching to the choir. I went through both <laughs> of those as well. And the important thing is that you did learn and you're applying mm-hmm. it now because some people go through their whole lives and they never figure that out. It's like mm-hmm. your little, you know, your geometrical pieces, like each little square is a little change. But when you add all that together, it makes for this beautiful piece and it's full, it's all mm-hmm. full. But I love mm-hmm. the exponential growth thing too. Yeah. A lot of that is just laying the groundwork and it's not always sexy, right? It's not like, oh my yes. God, oh, doing all this. Because people now are so interested in seeing the highlight reel on Instagram and seeing everything. Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And they get they just lose interest. But when you're laying that groundwork, you're right. You're setting yourself up for that exponential growth and that you just kind of take off at one point. And then I wanted to, to comment on your first thing which is great because I did the same thing. I was like, I'm a painter. They'll find me. My work will be, it'll speak for itself. And you know, there's a mistake. Yeah. Right. It's a huge, it's the biggest mistake you can make. And I honestly, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to say, I think it's a trap. I really think it's a trap by the powers that be to kind of keep the power out of your hands as well, because it's like, well, the more these artists don't realize their own power, the more we can monetize them, jump in, swoop in. Don't you think like, I really feel that way. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying they're in some secret society, like twirling their mustache, you know, and going like, we can do this. But I think that that (laughs) has become a thing. So, you know, thank you for saying that. I think it's the first time I've had that answer, which I completely agree with. And um, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. So, you already answered the daily routines. You answered a couple of the other ones, the superpower thing. Um, the last one I'm going to end with is advice to young Brent. This can be at any age. You can be giving advice to yourself at five, at 25, whatever. What is something you've learned that you'd like to impart on your younger self? Uh, this goes back to kind of what I was just talking about, but embrace change. Learn that, oh, and I love it. I get to spend my life, you know, constantly improving myself and, Realize that everybody 
every person in the world, even the most, you know, who you may claim the most successful people in life are, have room to positively grow and have better habits. Maybe it's better relationships. Maybe it's better eating habits. Maybe it's better exercise routine. Maybe it's better mindfulness, you know, whatever it be, but realize you're not stuck who you are. You can, you get to spend this life improving yourself, but you have to do it. And it, and it takes work. And there'll probably be a lot of times where it doesn't feel like you're doing anything or it feels like a waste of time, but you, you must go through this process in order to have a successful life. And again, I'm not talking business success yeah. that will follow, but I'm talking life success, life happiness. Success. Yes. Yes. I completely understand what you're saying. And, and that's so powerful. You know, I have, um, I've been, I've been going through a weird two years of time with like chronic pain and some stuff I'm dealing with, with my kind of upbringing and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's funny because nowadays had I not, been at the place where I am now, like had this happened to me 15 years ago, I I honestly think I wouldn't be here. But because Mm. I've learned some of these things, I feel like now I can look at this, I can actually look back on this moment now from the future and go, this is going to be one of those huge growth periods where like, I'm going to look back and be like, this was so important in my life. So I'm actually having kind of gratitude for the moment, even though I'm suffering, I'm having gratitude for it right now. Good mindset. yeah. So, you know, I think I, I hear a lot of overlaps with what you're saying and I understand why you're successful because you have a great, great mentality, great mindset. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. You yeah. as well. Thanks, man. But I really, I really appreciate you sharing all this with us. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. Check out Brent's work. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing online. It's amazing in person. And um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, this was uh, this was awesome. This was a this great fun, podcast. Right? <laughs> okay, good. Yep. I love talking. Yeah, and uh, hey, l- would love to uh, to see you in person one of these times too. Maybe I can come to your studio someday. Yes, yes, I'd love to have you over. All right, awesome, man. Thank you so much. All right. This has been the Living Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here, and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful. So thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, you can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMS Artwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.